Jasmine, or Talia, wants to read the Bible passage that's up here. Oh no, uh, I meant Atalia next year. <laughs> Tip Finn! Awesome work. Okay, Finn, in a loud voice everyone can hear. Jesus and his disciples left Galilee and went up to the villages near Caesarea Philippi. As they were walking along, he asked them, Who do people say I am? Well, they replied, Some say John the Baptist, some say Elijah, and others say you are one of the prophets. Then he asked them, but who do you, I say, I am? Peter replied, you are the Messiah. But Jesus warned me not to tell anybody about him. Thank you, Finn. Well done, because there are a bunch of hard words in there. So, well done. Hey? Oh, how about that? What's the chances of that? <laughs> um, so today I'm going to talk about the most important question you can ask yourself in life. I'm sure many people would disagree that this is an important question at all, but I think it's an important question. The question is, what do you think about Jesus? Who do you think he is? Today's sermon is a repeat sermon. Apologies to those who have heard it before. <laughs> Sasha, if you weren't paying attention anyway, so it doesn't matter. (laughs) Good, good. (laughs) But I thought it was a good one for teenagers, so that's why we're doing it today. So kids, teenagers, if you were to ask people what they think about Jesus, who he was, who he is, what do you reckon the answer would be? Think especially of non-Christian friends, people that aren't Christians, what would they say about Jesus? What would members of your family say, or friends at school? And more broadly, people around the world in exotic countries of different cultures and languages, what would they say? Anyone want to share what they think Jesus, uh, they'd say about Jesus? Yeah, Finn. A higher being. A higher being. Yep. Cool. Some random guy, Christians called God. Some random guy, Christian called God. Yep. Any other thoughts? What do people say about Jesus? Guy, long time ago in history. Yep. Guy that rose from the dead. Teacher. teacher, good teacher, yes. Yeah. Yes. It's like the Queen's birthday, isn't it? It's great having a day off. Yep. Yeah. The Mormons say Jesus was Lucifer's brother. The brother of the devil, right? So there are different things out there, aren't there, that are said. When I was a much younger adult, I spent a few weeks in the country studying in a rural hospital with my friends, Eng and Rory. Eng was Vietnamese and he was Buddhist, and Rory was a Caucasian, born and bred in Australia, but he was dabbling in Buddhism. One evening, I noticed Rory was reading this book uh, by the Dalai Lama. Any of you know who the Dalai Lama is? Teenagers? Yeah, Matthew, who do you reckon? Some guy. <laughs> He's the spiritual leader of Tibetan Buddhism. Very famous man and you know, a lot of probably, has a lot of really interesting things to say. Um, anyway, he was reading this book, The Art of Happiness. And Rory made the comment, you know, Jesus was a lot like the Dalai Lama. They're just both great religious teachers who teach about peace. And he nodded and agreed. Then a few years later, my friend Mark, who you can see here, he was at Bible College and uh, he had to do an assignment on Buddhism and had to interview a Buddhist. So I put him in touch with my friend Eng. 
Eng met up with Mark, and later that night I had a phone call from Eng. Graham, I met Jesus today, he said. He does look like Jesus, doesn't he? <laughs> we all have our preconceived ideas of what Jesus looks like, who he was, what he was on about. Ask almost any person you know, and who almost certainly have some sort of idea, some sort of opinion about who Jesus was, what he represented. Do you remember the, the book and the movie, The Da Vinci Code? It was a really you know, well-known book, what, 20 years ago? movie made from it. And in this book, the theory was presented that Jesus was a regular man who married Mary Magdalene and then went on to have a family with her. And that actually took hold in popular culture and a lot of people decided that's the history of Jesus. That's what happened. If you ask other people, you may find that they think Jesus was just a really important religious person who taught great religious principles like Buddha or Muhammad or this guy. don't know who he is. He was on Google Images. Now this one here, he's Che Guevara. He led a violent struggle in Argentina. He wanted to improve the lives of poor people uh, through communism. Some people, though, they might see Jesus as a great agent of change who worked through peaceful methods, like William William Wilberforce. Any of the teenagers know who William Wilberforce was? Yeah, who was he? This is my son that likes history. <laughs> he, was, he was a really famous British Prime Minister who ended slavery in the British Empire. And then there are other people who remember Jesus as a great healer. Then other people think of Jesus as a man who broke down stereotypes. He shattered the glass ceiling. They see Jesus in terms of identity politics, seeking to lift up minority groups. Jesus must have been black, eh? Or then ask someone else, oh, and Jesus clearly had blue eyes and blonde hair. And then others think of Jesus as this little magical baby with powers who never cries. And of course, the most common view in our society is that Jesus was just a man who died a long time ago and is no longer important. That's probably the predominant view in Australia today. Look at the last census where 40% of people describe themselves as non-religious. Most of those 40% of people have no interest in Jesus at all. They consider him long dead and gone and not important. He's buried somewhere, should be forgotten. There's a few people, um, like there's this little shop in Madrabah, this spiritualist shop, and a few people have that sort of spiritualist sort of notion, a vague notion of Jesus. He's, you know, a life force, or he's part of the life force. He's representing things that are good like other sort of beings. He represents love, goodness in the universe. And then there's people that say Jesus never existed. Figment of the imagination. No sensible person would believe in him. I wonder what you think. I wonder what your friends think. So questions about the identity of Jesus aren't new. They've been asked for 2,000 years. In fact, people were asking the question about the identity of Jesus as he walked and talked in the Galilean countryside 2,000 years ago. And in the passage we just read... Jesus himself was asked that very question. Or he asked that very question. Who do people say I am? A couple of chapters earlier in the book of Mark, we, read that, we can read that the local king, Herod, who was, uh, who was sort of the, just the local king under the Romans, he was really interested in the identity of Jesus. Herod was a pretty evil man, and he noticed Jesus, wanted to get rid of him. Verse 14 of chapter 6 in the book of Mark in the Bible talks about this. 
Herod Antipas, the king, soon heard about Jesus because everyone was talking about him. Some were saying, this must be John the Baptist, raised from the dead. That's why he can do miracles. Others said, he's the prophet Elijah. And still some said, he's a prophet, like great prophets of the past. So Jesus was obviously making quite a stir among the people, wasn't he? He stood out and people were trying to understand him. And soon these wild theories and rumours started to abound. Like all rumours, they were often quite ridiculous. Like this one, this must be John the Baptist, raised from the dead. John had only been executed just a few weeks or a few years earlier, a few months earlier. So it would be incredible for Jesus to be the resurrected John the Baptist. But I guess this was back in the days before mass communication, and it would have been much harder to verify facts. But maybe less ridiculous was this idea that Jesus was Elijah returning. So Elijah was a great prophet who lived 800 years before Jesus. And he called on the people to turn away from their sin and to receive God's light. The remarkable thing about the story of Elijah in the Bible is he didn't die. You might remember the story in the book of Kings. His follower, Elisha, hid and told this story afterwards. And he saw Elijah taken by God in a chariot of fire. And that was the last anyone ever heard about Elijah. Then 400 years after Elijah, in the book of Malachi in the Old Testament, God promised the return of Elijah with these words. See, I'll send the prophet Elijah to you before that great and dreadful day the Lord comes. So then by the time of Jesus, another 400 years, years had passed since that prophecy. and No one had heard of anything about Elijah returning. So they were waiting for his return. Amongst the religious people and those interested in politics of the day, the topic of the return of Elijah was actually probably pretty common. It was being talked about. In fact, elsewhere in the Gospels, the story is told about the disciples asking Jesus about the return of Elijah. And in that story, Jesus confirmed that Elijah had actually already returned. But it wasn't as they expected. Elijah hadn't returned physically. Rather, John the Baptist had been Elijah-like and had, had returned for Elijah. He'd acted like Elijah. So although this idea of Jesus being Elijah seems absurd to us, it's a crazy idea, to the people of the time it made sense, and that's why they were asking about it. So when the disciples, when Jesus asked his disciples who he was, the answer the disciples gave made sense. Some said you'd say you're John the Baptist, some say you're Elijah, others say you're another prophet. The answers seem really weird to us today, but they make sense in the context of the day. To the people of the day, those answers made sense. That's what people really thought. But here's the important point. Jesus actually wasn't interested in what other people thought. He was interested in what they thought. He wanted to know what the disciples thought about him. That's why he asked them. Okay, that's what others think, Jesus said. But who do you say I am? Who do you say I am? It's the same for us. Jesus asks each one of us, who do you say I am? doesn't matter what society thinks. doesn't matter what my friends believe. It doesn't matter what my family believes. What's important is for me individually, what do I think? What do I believe? Hey, Luke. <laughs> when I stand before Jesus in the future, 
He's not going to judge me based on what others think about him and how that affected their lives. He's going to judge me based on what I thought about him and how that impacted my life. It's the same for you. When Jesus is talking to you, he's interested in what you think, who you say he is. It's not about a group or community identity. It's not an abstract, impersonal question. It's a deeply personal question meant for each individual. I guess many of the people in this room today have already thought about this and have an answer. But if that isn't you, if you've not considered the question of the identity of Jesus at a personal level, then I I think God wants you to ask that today. He wants you to ask, who do you think I am? Who do you think Jesus is? Because it's a question that has infinite and eternal consequences. When Jesus asked his disciples the question, who do you say I am? His close friend and his disciple, Simon Peter, didn't hesitate. You are... The Messiah. It's a funny word, Messiah. It's worth a revision of what it means. So the word Messiah is an ancient Hebrew word, and it has an ancient Greek equivalent, which is Christ, or Christos. The words are the same, just in two different languages. Christ equals Messiah. Jesus Christ, or Jesus Messiah. And it's a title. It's not a last name. It's not a proper name. It's a title that means anointed one. Messiah or Christ means anointed one. In ancient Israel, anointing was the custom of oil being poured over a person's head. And anointing was done to symbolise that that person had a special task, a special appointment from God, a unique task. Usually anointing was done to show that God had chosen a person to be the king. And the king's role was to be the, the one who would rescue, who would protect and who would lead and rule his people. So when Jesus lived, the Jewish people had been waiting for and praying for this anointed one, this Messiah, for centuries. So let me recap a very short history of the Jewish people in the last few centuries leading up to Jesus. So the people of Judah, the southern Jewish kingdom, lost their nation about 600 BC. They were transported hundreds of kilometres away to foreign lands, kind of like slaves. But slowly, they returned a hundred years later, and started to rebuild their nation. But this nation that they rebuilt wasn't their own nation. It was still under the rule of other nations. First the Persians ruled it, then the Greeks or the Seleucids ruled it after Alexander the Great invaded. And then there was this brief period of independence after the Maccabean Revolution until General Pompey of Rome invaded and took the region over in 60 BC. So Now the Romans ruled Judah with harshness, but they brought this peace, an uneasy peace there. But the Jewish people who lived there dreamed of independence. They dreamed of a king who would come and bring them independence. They dreamed of this Messiah. And this idea of Messiah didn't come from nowhere. It was an idea that actually has its roots in Scripture, in the Old Testament, which spoke about a great king who would usher in the greatest kingdom the world has ever known. In Psalm 2, the Messiah is spoken of in these words in the Old Testament. I've installed my king in Zion. Zion means Jerusalem. My holy mountain. I will proclaim the Lord's decree, he said to me. You are my son. Today I have become your father. Ask me and I'll make the nations your inheritance, the ends of the earth your possession. There are actually lots of allusions to the Messiah in the Old Testament. Another passage about the Messiah is in Psalm 72. May the king's rule be refreshing like spring rain on freshly cut grass, like the showers that water the earth. 
He'll rescue them when they cry to him. He'll help the oppressed who have no one to defend them. He'll redeem the weak from oppression and violence for their lives are precious to him. The Jewish people imagined that this king would come, who would break oppression from their enemies, who would overthrow, overthrow the Romans. And they'd been waiting for him for a long, long time. And here Peter is saying, Jesus, you're the Messiah. That's huge. What Peter's saying is incredible. He was saying that Jesus was the promised king from God who would rescue people and bring the greatest kingdom the world had ever known. In other words, the plans and purposes of God were going to be found in Jesus. God himself could be found in Jesus. You know, this event described in Mark 8 took place in Caesarea Philippi, a Roman city in Galilee, which is where Jesus, near where he was born. Here's a picture of the area today. Very few people live there. Today it's called Banias. Two interesting facts about Caesarea Philippi. First, it was named in honour of the Roman Emperor Caesar. And second, is that it had a famous temple, we can see the ruin, dedicated to the god Pan, the ancient Greek god. Here Jesus was, right near the city that should have directed people towards God, towards the divine. But Caesarea Philippi could never direct people to God. Because God couldn't be found in Caesar and God couldn't be found in Pan, the ancient Greek god. He couldn't be found in the temple. Instead, God was found outside the city, outside the temple. God was found in Jesus. To start contrast, the world looks for God in one place, but he's somewhere else. When you're with Jesus, you have the chance of seeing God. And Jesus will invite you to see God with a simple question, a question about his identity, who he is. This is something we should always keep in the centre of our lives. Jesus is the Messiah. Not the Messiah in the way the Jewish people thought. He wasn't there to overthrow a political system, to set up a government. He was there for a different purpose. And that became clear in the events on the cross. Directly after Peter acknowledged Jesus as Messiah, Jesus explained his mission to his disciples. He explained that purpose was actually to suffer, to die, to be crucified for the sins of people. He explained that his purpose was to to save our souls, to change our lives, to transform our hearts. Peter's response was interesting. His response was, no way, Jesus, you can't die. That won't happen. So in one breath, Peter was acknowledging that Jesus was the long-promised Messiah. And then, in another breath, he was saying, Jesus, you can't do things your way. Peter's being just like everyone else. There are things that Jesus said that might leave us, modern Westerners, uncomfortable. For example, he said, you can't love God and money. That's hard for me to hear. I mean, look at the house I live in. I've got to be very careful not to love money. Another example, Jesus said he was the unique son of God and that he was the only way to find God. That's hard for us to hear in our pluralistic society where all religions are considered valid, all are equal paths to God. We can be like Peter and we can try to tell Jesus who he should be, but we shouldn't. Jesus reveals truth and our job is simply to seek to listen and to follow. That's why it's so important to read the Bible, to read the words of Jesus. So let me encourage you, keep reading him. Keep reading scripture, don't stop. And when you tell 
When you let Jesus tell you who he is, you'll see your life change. Nothing makes more of a difference in life than letting Jesus speak to you. And here's the really amazing thing. Worrying about your own relationship with Jesus, thinking about our own connection with him, results in something much bigger, much bigger changes. Think of the early church and see how it grew. Jesus was was really clear to his disciples, who do you say I am? In other words, get your own faith right. Jesus commanded each person to follow him, to love him, obey him and trust him. That's what he said, for each one to do it individually. And as his disciples discovered their own personal faith, they became so beautiful that other people became interested in what made them who they were. And this connection they'd found with Jesus and God couldn't be contained. They needed to share his love with other people. They needed to tell other people about him. And the church grew. In a few decades after the death of Jesus, from a few, a few people to thousands of people in thousands of villages around the Roman world. And the church is still growing today. We all play our part in that bigger story. And if we get our understanding of Jesus right, we'll continue to be part of that story. If you've been on a plane before and paid any attention to the safety warnings at the beginning, you'll remember the oxygen mask drops down and the first thing you need to do is put on your own. Why do you need to do that, boys? Because then you can help other people with theirs, but if you don't have yours on, then you can, like, faint through lack of oxygen and then, then you can't help them. Exactly, yeah. You can't save others unless you've saved yourself. You've got to be able to survive yourself first. Jesus calls each one of us to recognise that he is the Messiah. He's the one who brings us rescue in our lives. And he's shown us how he's done this. Strange as it is, the way God chose to rescue people is through the events on the cross, through Jesus being nailed to the cross for my sins, my wrongdoings. He was punished for the whole world. And he rose to new life, proving that he is Lord, he is God, and he's able to raise us up to new life. That's what's at stake with the question about the identity of Jesus. Do we understand how important that question is? So if I get my answer wrong and I don't recognise Jesus as my Messiah, my Saviour and my Lord, then I'll miss out on an eternity with God. The stake's that high, according to Jesus. But the good news is, Jesus has asked each one of us to look at him and answer that question, who do you say I am? And when we get it right, we will find peace. And that's a peace that only Jesus can give us. A peace secure in the knowledge of a good eternity, a wonderful eternity. So the question Jesus asks each one of us today still is, who do we say he is? Who do you say he is? And it's a good question and it's got an even better answer. So let's pray.